Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to be reading from verses 8 uh, to the end of that chapter. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Well, good to see you all here this morning, and uh, lots of new faces too, and lots of old. Um, that wasn't an insult, by the way. <coughs> Resilience in rejection, right? Uh, we have issues with rejection in our society, so that's what we want to look at. Resilience in rejection. As soon as our first parents sinned, as we saw there, the fear of exposure before God gripped them. Never heard of that. They'd never experienced that before. In other words, God will now see the ugliness of my sin. Then they looked at each other and a fear of exposure before one another also entered in as never before. Others will see the ugliness of my sin. Now I'm worried what others see in me or what I think they see that I don't want them to see. 
a fear of exposure before others. So they cover up, don't they, to try and stop God seeing. But they also cover up so others, each other, won't see what they don't want them to see about them. See, sin brought a fear of shame before God and shame before others. And ever since, we humans experience the same. A fear of the shame of our sin before a holy God and fear of shame in what others think. Which allows our lives sometimes to be controlled not by God, but by what others think. We become scared of what they think, oh sorry, of what we think they think about us. Their opinions, their facial expressions, their attitudes towards us. And it comes down to this, people will reject me, that's what I'm afraid of. So let's look at the fear of rejection by others. And the fear of rejection by others is rooted in God's rejection of our sin. Right back then, Genesis 3.21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his, and his wife and clothed them. You see, if you remember, God came looking for them, didn't they? Not because he didn't know where they were, but because he was giving Adam and Eve a chance to own up to their sin. But they didn't, and as Luke rightly said, the first of many marriage blame games began right there. Yet God provided an animal sacrifice, garments of skin, to cover over their sin and shame. But then we read, verse 22, that God rejected them. Verse 22, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. See, sin not only caused shame and fear of exposure before God and others, but sin caused rejection by God. And a fear of that rejection deep within each one of us. That's the ultimate problem humanity has. But now, through trusting in the cross of Jesus, you can be accepted by God and never be rejected by him again. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. Nevertheless, when that first sin entered, God rejected Adam and Eve. And that fear of rejection has now entered into every human being since the fall. Now human beings not only fear rejection by God, which some of them don't even realise it is that, but that fear of rejection by God follows on and is expressed in a fear of rejection by others, which all humanity know about. And some people will reject you. And some people do ridicule and despise you. And it starts very early on in the playground or at nursery. Or, and later on, they don't invite you and they invite everybody else. I used to make my daughter, she didn't particularly get on with one girl and when she was young, so she didn't invite her to her parties and I used to make her invite her. 
They don't invite you. They ignore you. They don't like you. And you feel invisible. I think we've probably all been there to some degree at some point in our lives. And they withhold the acceptance and the love and the significance that you want from them. And then what's the result of that? Feelings of worthlessness. What's happened? You've allowed opinions what you, and what you think are the opinions of others to control you. You've replaced the fear of God and what he thinks is the most important with the fear of man and what they think is the most important. That's what happens when you fear the opinion of others. And if you take God out of the picture of your life, or you feel rejected by him, or you don't even think about him at all, you'll look to others for acceptance. And the fear that they might reject you will be much bigger than the fear of God's rejection of you. They become bigger than God. Rejection's a part of life, as we've just said. Some people will like you, and others won't. If you're a leader or want to be a leader, never try to be liked, because you're not going to be liked by some. Just do what God wants you to do. The rest will follow. What hurts, though, is when you're rejected by someone that actually really matters to you, someone you greatly value. It might be their popularity that you like, it might be their position, it might be their money, it might be their gifts and talents, it might be their good looks. I have that problem all the time. (laughs) Or it might be their personality, but whatever it is, it makes their opinion of you incredibly important. So if they reject you, it hurts like heck, and many fear and respect or revere such people. And so in our minds, and often in our actions, we show favouritism to some people while rejecting others, because you don't want to be out of sync and rejected by the people that you care most about what they think of you, your favourite. The trouble is with that, you see, it has spiritual implications. (coughs) The fear of rejection will stop us speaking and living for Christ. It's one of the biggest things that stop us doing that. Remember the Pharisees, they craved acceptance and approval from the people. That was one of Jesus' accusations to them. So they hated Jesus because he was so popular. And he had the strongest words of all to say to them. But you know, some did come to believe in Jesus. You'd think though, as soon as those Pharisees that got saved uh, believed, they'd publicly begin to teach Christ to the people and to their fellow Pharisees. But they didn't. Why didn't they? They chose to keep their faith in secret. Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus to find out more, but he comes when it's dark. Why? Because he's scared one of his peers might see him. John 12, 42, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Why? Verse 43, for they loved praise from people 
More than praise from God, that's it. You see, this fear of rejection of others makes us fear people more than God. And that's often what can control you. Instead of allowing God to control you. Who are you controlled by this morning? Who am I controlled by this morning? If I take my eyes off Christ, it's going to be others. But the trouble is with that fear of others, it shuts your mouth. It shuts your mouth when you get a chance to shine for Jesus. And to speak up for Jesus. And that fear stunts your growth and stops you living for Jesus too because you're too bothered about mere mortals and what they think. I play football. Okay, it's geriatric football. It's walking football. I hate to admit that. And if Roger comes with me, it doesn't mean we just walk. We do jog. Don't we, Roger? Well, I do. But it's over 50s. And we had three football friends. Uh... Probably two out of the three I had opportunities with and I passed them up. Because I can be a chicken just like anybody else. Then one died. And I thought, I actually had an opportunity with him. Because his dad died the week before. He was sharing that with me. I said nothing. Then another died. I took his funeral. But I said nothing when he was alive. And then another died. And in the end, God said to me, how many people have to die before you say something? Two right, very right. The fourth one then, he announced that he got stage four cancer to all of us. But before that, I'd already spoken to him about Jesus. After that, I spoke to him about Jesus. And then I prayed with him before... He had his operation, went to his funeral about three weeks ago. I don't know whether he became a Christian, but that sort of thing makes you open your mouth. You see, it's okay often when you're with other Christians that accept you. But it's not okay when you risk being rejected by Christians or non-Christians. That's how we often think. Uh, Edward Welch says this from his great book. Sometimes we prefer to die for Jesus than to live for him. If someone had the power to kill us for our profession of faith, I imagine that some Christians would say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, even if it meant death. The threat of torture might make people think twice, but I think most Christians would acknowledge Christ. However, if making a decision for Jesus means that we might spend years being unpopular, ignored, poor or criticised, then there are masses of Christians who temporarily put their faith on the shelf. Death is not imminent, so why hurry into such a rash decision? There'll be time later to get things sorted with God. Is that you? I look at my own heart, it can be. He goes on to say, in other words, kill me, but please don't keep me from being liked, appreciated or respected because that is worse than death. Now you and I might 
not necessarily literally think that, but we may well live like that. See, here's the problem. You fear rejection from people more than you fear rejection from God. And you allow other people to shut your mouth when God wants you to open it. And you fear or respect or revere your fellow creatures more than you fear, respect, revere your Creator. Jesus says this, Luke 12, 4, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I don't know whether you've noticed, but this world turns everything the wrong way around. It takes scripture and turns it upside down, writes it backwards, scribbles all over it, deletes it, whatever. We are encouraged to be people pleasers, not God pleasers in this world. We are encouraged to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God in this world. But if we revere people more than we revere God, you and I add to the problem. We're going along with the world's agenda. And if you put their views before God's, no one will ever come to Christ and you will simply leave them in their unbelief because you are no different. In the book Jesus Freak, uh, we, get, we read this quote. The greatest cause of atheism today is Christians. What? They go to church on a Sunday, they worship God with their lips, then they walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Are you a Sunday Christian here this morning? Are you okay when you're with Christians? Or are you, and are you a secret believer when you're not? And what are you when you're not with Christians? Do you follow the crowd? Do you allow them to control you and keep your mouth shut? And stop living for Jesus unless you raise your head above the parapet? Are you a Sunday Christian? There's no such thing, friends. Well, how do we get through this? We need to develop a spiritual backbone. We need to become resilient in rejection. We need to take it on the chin for Christ's sake. You see, the most important thing, firstly, to remember is this. It's not actually about you being rejected. It's whether Christ will be rejected. That should be your major concern. And he is being rejected every single day by many, many people. Yet still, the grace of Christ holds out his loving and forgiving hands, though many will think of anything else but Christ. Many turn him away as soon as they hear his precious voice. When you mention the J word, people love spirituality, don't they? But they don't like it when you talk about Jesus. They don't even mind God, but when you talk about Jesus, not that J word, no, they switch. Not everyone. I bumped into an old friend some years ago. I told him I'd become a Christian, and he said, yeah, yeah, we should meet it. And I gave him both barrels of the gospel. And um, he said, oh, let's meet again. And he wrote his number on a piece of paper, but he added a little note saying, ring this number for a non-God convo. 
He didn't want to hear about it again. Did I ring him again now? Now, maybe that's wrong, I don't know. But he wasn't interested. If you're a Christian here this morning, when you fear being rejected by those around you, you allow non-Christians and Christians alike to control you. That's how serious it is. You might not have seen it that way. You let them get in the way of you living for Christ. And you yourself reject Christ all over again as a result. It's a serious business. Yet if you are his, he's the only one, the only one, not your wife, not your husband, not your kids, he's the only one who will truly, genuinely, consistently and fully accept you as you are and not as you should be, and he will love you for who you are and not what you do. There is no one in the whole universe that consistently does that other than Jesus Christ. So why are you rejecting? And for what? The praise of humankind? Here one minute, gone the next. And when you do that, and I've been there myself, <coughs> you're left feeling even more ashamed and guilty and empty. You and I, we really have to work on and learn to love and seek the praise of God and his glory. And when you do, you will be satisfied, stable and secure. And when you don't, you won't. At some point, someone will be rejected. As far as it depends on you, don't let it be Christ. So, remember, as you develop a spiritual background, it's not about you being rejected, but Christ being rejected. And then it's, Jesus completely and utterly understands rejection. What does God know about rejection? I'll tell you what he knows about rejection. Isaiah 53.3 He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one whom men hide their faces, he was esteemed, uh, sorry, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus was rejected, isolated, despised, alienated, and shunned. He knew what it was like to get funny looks, hateful looks, dirty looks, disapproving looks. He knew what it was to be insulted, mocked, battered about the head, all his friends running out on him when he needed them the most. He says this, Foxes have had holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I created this world and I've got nowhere to sleep. Nowhere to feel at peace. And things went from bad to worse until the unthinkable happened, where God laid the sin of humankind upon Jesus, the very sin of rejection of God. And the wrath of God burned him up as he took the punishment for our sins. But that wasn't all. His very worst fear became a dreadful reality because God his Father rejected God the Son. Even the creation could not hold back her revulsion at that unnatural monumental act. She hid herself in darkness as the rocks shook and split all around. Why? The perfect relationship from everlasting to everlasting was cut off by your sin and my sin. No longer could the son who always cried out Abba Father, which means Dad, he could no longer use the word dad. He said he was a worm when he had our sins on. He said, and he, he, he reaches out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
That's what crushed him ultimately. And that is what killed him. He could have hopped off the cross, but he didn't. And that was his worst nightmare. And that's what finished him up. So we think, why would Jesus, God the Son, God in human flesh, choose to put himself in that place? To bring you to God, to bring me to God. To bring Christ's rejectors to God. So that you would never be rejected by God. Which is the one thing that really matters. So you see, while we live for the acceptance of others down here, you're rejecting the Saviour who was rejected that you might not be. And it's important sometimes to see it that clearly. You should care more about him being rejected than you being rejected. But the great thing is that Christ fully draws near to those who have been and are rejected. You're being rejected at the moment, let me tell you this. Jesus knows exactly what it's like. Isaiah 54 verse 5 using the analogy of a wife who'd been rejected by a husband, <coughs> which is absolutely vile to experience. For your maker is your husband. He's saying, you know, <laughs> he might reject you, but I won't. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Your Redeemer, the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. That's his promise. Ezekiel 34. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Are you weak? He'll strengthen you. Are you injured? He'll heal you and bind you up. Do you have a broken heart? He'll put it back together. And he knows himself exactly what that was like. And he says this, I will not abandon the work of my hand. He's never going to reject you, Christian. Because he knows exactly the pain of what that's like. And he was rejected so that you wouldn't be. Another thing to remember. Rejection for following Christ can change into rejoicing in Christ. This is the topsy-turvy world of the kingdom. Because it brings Jesus closer to you. 1 Peter 4.12 Do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you because people aren't being nice to me. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ... You are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The Lord draws near, especially near, to his rejected, abandoned people. And you may not always feel him near, but he says he's near, so he is. Remember the Pentecostal thing. Uh, Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. 
You see, when that happens to you, the Holy Spirit rests on you and he counsels you and he comforts you and he reminds you of the suffering of Christ and he makes, brings that comfort that Christ eventually now has in the glory to you right now in real time and he gives you peace and he gives you the strength to take more blows if necessary and to take whatever comes your way. Folks, we need to raise our gaze. These times are very, very dodgy. The last three years have been ridiculous. And especially in times of rejection, especially in times of a mass falling away, which is happening. When no one else accepts you, he does. And he's proud of you for not being ashamed of him and for not shying away from the gospel. That's why he comes close to you. He loves it when you stand like he stood. And then, just a few more minutes. <clears throat> if rejected because of Christ, you must be doing something right. Sometimes you think, why is God punishing me? Why does everybody hate me? Why is this happening? Why is that? It's actually proof that you're doing something right. It's actually truth. His discipline is because he loves you. He doesn't bother with those who he doesn't love. Or aren't here, so let's say that. Matthew 5.10 Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, living for him. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because I'm the reason. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you're doing the right thing. Rejection comes to everyone. But if you never get rejected for being a Christian, you've got to ask yourself, am I being a Christian? Have I never been rejected? Well, I've blended in then, haven't I? There's something wrong. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If people hate you because of Christ and standing for Christ and living for Christ, you must be doing something right. Or in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So don't think you're doing something wrong when you get a hard time. Think you're doing something right if you're standing up for Jesus. And lastly, look at the bigger picture. Look beyond what's happening right now. 5 verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted, that's Matthew, because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. It's easy to forget, isn't it, that this house is not our home. We are actually spiritually just like Abraham was, living in a tent, passing through this life until we get to the promised land. We are not settled here and we mustn't be settled here. And the more you stand out for Christ, the more you respect and revere him above all others because it gets nurtured into your soul. And the more you care what he thinks over what anyone else thinks, the more you long to be with him face to face because you're nurturing your relationship with him above others. And the more you start living for what matters, you are building treasure in heaven, not on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in still. I wonder, are you too comfortable down here? I think sometimes I am. Do you like being comfortable? Well, who doesn't? Do you hang on too tightly, though, to the things of this world? 
Do you revere your fellow creatures way too much? I like the guitar. And uh, I was in Chicago visiting my son recently, and Julie was there with me. We were walking in Chicago town, and I saw Jeff Beck on that night. He's a guitarist, right? And uh, it said Jeff Beck with Johnny Depp, but Johnny Depp's rubbish on me. I don't even know why I was with him. But anyway, it is the Johnny Depp. I don't care about him. Um, and it said Jeff Beck, and it was on tonight. And I went, oh, oh, can we go? Let, let's stay a bit later. Can we go and see Jeff Beck? Well, you can, but we're going home, they said. And, and besides, you're supposed to get out of Chicago before it gets dark, because it's not good at the moment. So I thought, well, I'm not going to get killed, so I'll have to get the train back. Now, a long time ago, I would have idolised top rock guitarists. I was about six foot away from Andy Van Halen. You know, the king. Exactly, thank you. Respect, respect. Yeah, we better not do that sign, though. It's a bit... Um, not in church, anyway. Um, he was one of the fastest metal guitarists on the planet. But now, I have to say, I don't think that way. This world's idols is all they are. They might have a gift at guitar, so what? I mean, it's great, it's good to admire him. But what's that to me? He's flesh and bone, just like us. He's here one minute, gone the next, just like us. And true enough, Eddie Van Halen died a few years back and Jeff Beck died last Tuesday. I know who my hero is. Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, Forever. The greatest name in the universe. And all the idolaters will one day realise one day realise that and lay face down before him. He is the one who was and is to come. That's my king. Is he yours? Why, friends, do we fear the rejection of fragile mortal humanity? when we can bask daily in the acceptance of the Almighty Eternal One. There's no comparison. Look at the apostles as we close. They were told not to speak in the name of Jesus again, and they decided to obey God rather than men, and they got flogged. And we read in Acts 5.41, after they'd come out, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They'd just been battered. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Well, what does that mean? It meant that to them, being rejected for Christ was an insurmountable privilege. This is how they walked with him. It meant that they were permitted to walk in his footsteps, including suffering. And that was somehow some incredible privilege to them. Is that how you see your Christian life? Is that how I see mine? Even when things get nasty, even when people fall out with you, even when they turn up the heat and the thumbscrews, do you see it as a privilege to be permitted to follow in the sacred steps of the Saviour? Because if you think like that, nothing's going to touch you. And you certainly won't fear rejection from others. In fact, it will make you go after him all the more. We read straight after Acts 5.41, counted worthy of discovering, suffering with disgrace for the name. Day after day, after they've been battered, day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming 
the good news that Jesus is the Christ? Does rejection, persecution for living for Jesus cause you to go up a gear? It can. And it will. If you develop a resilient backbone in rejection and keep your eyes fixed on him. Let's just pray, but then I'll hand over to John. Father, we thank you for your challenging but realistic word. We thank you, Lord, that it, re- it resonates with every single human on the planet because we are afraid of others and what they think of us. And we do act accordingly and allow what they think to control us. And, but as we move into your acceptance and your incredible love for us, as we are and not as we should be, things begin to change and we become, become far more interested in living close to you and your opinions than anybody else's. That's what we want to move into. That's what the kind of backbone we need to bask and rejoice in your love and all that you've done for us. Lord, help us to be walking like the apostles. It's not that we don't feel pain. It's not that we don't hurt. But our focus is always on you. Help us to keep putting one foot in front of the other until we eventually start walking and we find ourselves in the new heavens and the new earth. Amen.